Welcome back to Vetfolio Voice, everyone. In this episode, I'm once again joined by our resident CVT, Sam Sakasa, to discuss one of her passions, which is shelter medicine. This was another episode that we were able to record in person at the NAVC Institute, which really added an extra layer of fun. Sam and I discussed her experience working as a technician in shelter medicine, including topics like managing public perception, rewarding and difficult cases, and ways in which working in shelter medicine can be a rewarding and fulfilling career. In case you haven't caught up with Sam on a previous podcast episode, a webinar, or a vet-to-vet tech takeover, let me tell you a little bit more about her and then we'll jump in. Samantha Sakasa earned her bachelor's degree in education from the University of South Florida in 2008, and her associate degree in veterinary technology from Hillsborough Community College in 2013. Since becoming a certified veterinary technician, Sam has gained experience in emergency medicine, general practice, shelter medicine, and her personal favorite, wildlife conservation. She's also taught as an adjunct instructor at her alma mater, Hillsborough Community College. Sam's professional interests include continuing education for veterinary professionals, fostering the human-animal bond, improving workplace wellness, and the Fear Free Initiative. In general, she's passionate about improving the lives of animals and elevating veterinary medicine through education. Sam's honored to be a part of the Vetfolio team where she hopes her knowledge in veterinary medicine and her experience in education will aid in her impacting the profession in positive ways. In her spare time, Sam loves traveling and enjoying the outdoors with her husband and two kids. She has two dogs, a cat, and four fish, all of whom bring tremendous joy. Let's go ahead and jump in. All right, for this episode, I'm once again joined by our very own Sam Sakasa, CVT extraordinaire. And we're going to talk about shelter med, which, Sam, I know you, you have a background in shelter med and a love of shelter med. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I did have a shelter med rotation when I was in tech school. And I had a good time, but I was like, you know, I'm never going to end up here. Like I had other things that I really wanted to do. And then after I graduated, I was at a private practice for a while. And then a position opened up at a shelter. And I don't know why I ended up going for it, but I'm so glad I did because it just surprised me how quickly I fell in love with it. So that was 10 years ago. Um, So yeah, I was at the shelter for, I want to say, about six years. And now I've been, you know, spending time here and there reliefing. But yeah, I was full-time for six years. Very cool. And so I will be honest, like when I think of shelter medicine, so many things come to mind, like different types of practices, different needs, depending on the area. Was this like a humane society or are we talking, I'm showing my ignorance here, like animal control. Like I, um, you know, we have a, we have a program at the university where, you know, we have a shelter med program. We have nonprofits and community outreach type of services. You know, what kind of environment were you in and, and what role were you playing? Sure. So I do think that is a pretty broad term, so I don't think you're wrong there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like when I think of shelter med, I also think of like community outreach, low cost clinics. So it does encompass a lot. So I actually worked for an open access county shelter. So I worked for what you called animal control. And I was a technician. So that meant surgery, that meant exams, that meant treatments. Yeah, I was I was all over the place. You did it all. Yeah. So did you have like a single doctor that would come in 
kind of like we think of in a general practice where there's a doctor who would come in and then you would work with that doctor to take care of all the shelter animals or was it more, you know, did you have more on your shoulders than that? So yes, I definitely did have a lot on my shoulders, but in the best way possible. So there would be, you know, sometimes one doctor, a lot of times we would have two or three. There were times that we were more like adequately staffed, you know, there's kind of always that ebb and flow. So what would usually happen is that there would be a few of us helping a doctor with like our high volume spay and neuters. So that would be anywhere between like 20 and 70 surgeries during that day. Yeah, it was a lot sometimes, especially if we had a lot of, you know, like in the summertime when it's kitten season, like we would just do so many cats. And then there would always be, um, you know, ideally two, but sometimes only one technician that would work with another veterinarian and they would do exams, right? So every animal that came in before it went up for adoption would have a wellness exam. And a lot of times that would determine the route that we wanted it to go. So sometimes animals would be rescue only, you know, if they had more medical needs, that sort of thing. So we would examine all the animals. And then there was a dedicated um, technician for treatments. And that was honestly an all day job because you have a lot of animals that are on you know, oral, eye meds, ear meds. And that's also the person who's like changing bandages, like just doing so many things, nebulizing patients. So um, so that would end up being like an all-day job. And if they had time, they would help out the exam vet. So yeah, there was a few different areas. Very interesting. I mean, just tons of experience. Yeah, it is a lot of experience. I saw so many animals while I was there. And every day, like different things are happening. It sounds like it. Never a dull moment. Mm-hmm. I honestly didn't know that I didn't know this much about <laughs> shelter med until, until we started talking. And I went, well, goodness, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. So what do you wish that more people did know about shelter med? So I worked in an open access shelter. And, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism about that throughout the years, usually from kind of lay people that don't know a lot about veterinary medicine, and sometimes from people that are in veterinary medicine. I wish people would keep in mind just how much of a response open access shelters are to a community problem, right? So there has to be a place where you can kind of surrender animals. You know, shelters, I don't like to use the term cherry pick, but they can sort of decide, you know, what animals are adoptable that they want to take in. Yeah, right. You're triaging, but for (laughs) adoptability. And you have like those stringent hours that you're open. And, you know, so where I worked, it was more that we were taking in animals that animal control officers would, you know, confiscate, bring in. We had all of the investigations for that county. We would take in all the animals that were surrendered, you know, regardless of breed, adoptability, medical health. So you're sometimes really overwhelmed with how many animals you get. Some days it's explainable, like if you're getting, you know, animals that were confiscated from a hoarding case, you know, and then some days you're like, oh my gosh, why are there so many animals here? Nothing happened. But some days it's just really a lot. So I just wish there was more understanding about the response to the community problem of overpopulation and how we're all just doing our best. And that sometimes when animals are, let's say, like euthanized for space, that might be a dog that's on ace promazine and has been for seven months and has been living in a shelter and seems really unhappy. Or, you know, there's just so many different circumstances. But that at the end of the day, people that work in open access shelters are so committed to animal welfare and are really doing research and doing the best they can to to solve that problem. Absolutely. And, you know, gosh, we could go down like a whole trail here. 
you know, we're seeing animal population numbers go up, spay and neuter numbers go down since COVID, which is creating, you know, some issues that we haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, the long-term implications of that remain to be seen. But we did see something, you know, that kind of speaks to what you're talking about in our community where we didn't have space. And so we would get animals dropped off at the hospital where that was not a normal occurrence because people were just letting them out to run the street and they would either get hit by a car or someone would say, you know, I found this dog and the poor person who like brought the dog in and like was honest with us and like, I found this dog, I want to leave it with you. And we were like, no, 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 you can't, <laughs> right. you can't leave it here. We don't have any anywhere to put it. There's a place for that. It's animal control. <laughs> yeah, rather than like the drop and run person who was like, here you go. Bye. Yes. I've seen that happen a few times, too, when I worked in private practice. That's yeah. how I got my first dog. <laughs> One of those. Right. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's a response to a community problem. And, you know, it's something we we may see as a result of some of the trends that we're seeing with spay and neuter and, and stuff like that. But we certainly saw it very acutely. It was short lived. Thank goodness. But when the shelters ran out of space, I mean, these animals were not safe. They were in the middle of the road they were out on their own trying to survive and that's just you know that's not an okay situation for them either yeah absolutely so yeah that's part of the responsibility of an animal services is you know keeping animals safe and also keeping us safe right yeah 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 absolutely so it sounds like you've seen you you know your case range has kind of run the gamut here quite a bit what are some of your most memorable cases there are so many cases that were so memorable. One time, right, because of course all animals get scanned for a microchip when they come in, but this dog, nobody found a chip. So they brought it to me. It was maybe a Las Opso. I don't know. It was a little, it was a little extremely matted dog that you can tell had been on the streets for probably a long time. Wow, Las Opso. I know. It was geriatric <laughs> and it was so cute and sweet. Aww. So I started shaving it down, right? That's what I was doing. Because as the technician at the yeah. shelter, right, like we were talking about different treatments and things that you do and syrup, you know, before that dog even saw a doctor, I was kind of doing that. So I was shaving it down and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to check for a microchip one more time. And sure enough, I found one. Oh no, it was just under all the matted fur. Yeah, it couldn't I couldn't read. Know, I don't know why I didn't read, you know. And so I called the owner and that dog had been missing for 11 months and oh. she was so emotional and then she came to pick up the dog and there was not a dry eye in the house. She was crying. We were all crying. And it was just such a nice reminder of just how much, you know, people love their pets and how lucky is she to get her dog back? Because I'm sure after that much time passed, she probably didn't think that was possible. And so that was beautiful. And we had once a dog that came in with a pig and they were heavily bonded and they had to be in the same little run. Otherwise, the pig would start screaming. Oh, my God. It was so funny. And they actually got loose. So they weren't oh, no. they weren't dropped off or anything. So the owner did come for them like a day later. Oh, I was picturing like they got loose in the shelter and were just like running oh, amok through the kennel. That would definitely be memorable. But they were still memorable just because they were adorable. And it was so cute how bonded they were. There was one dog, Bella. She's like, she's probably my favorite. She was an 11-month-old pity that actually had gotten um, dragged by a car. Yeah, it was terrible. So she had first degree to third degree burns all over, I think it was her left side. 
And usually a dog like that would be euthanized, like she just had so much going on. But she was an investigation, and she was such a nice dog, and we just wanted to try to do right by her. So a veterinarian took the case on, and we all took it on with her. And she had to turn into like a plastic surgeon because she had to reconstruct the eyelid. You know, we just had to do so much for this dog. We had to do a CRI, which we don't do often because we're not there overnight. But we like figured it out. And, you know, she had just like huge, huge wounds on her side. And one even ended up dehissing. And, you know, the doctor had to like go back and do it again. It was such a such a time-consuming case, but she was such a nice dog, and we all felt so proud to give her that second chance at life. And sure enough, she went to a rescue, and the rescue kept in touch with us and found her a great home, and we saw pictures of her like, like in her new life. And she was the sweetest thing, and so she had had you know, a raw deal the first few months of her life, but that was a case that I always felt so proud of because we just did so much for her, you know, for being a shelter, and yeah, yeah absolutely it was a point of pride for us oh gosh that just I mean it like breaks my heart and it warms my heart at the same time I know it was so sad but yeah you kind of have to look at the bright side yeah. in those situations absolutely I think one of the other things I'm hearing you say is you know it's important not to pass judgment you know you had this little Las Opso who had been out on the streets for 11 months and it would be I think easy in that scenario to to bring that dog in and say oh you know your owner must not care about you and must have just let you go and you know all these horrible things happened but no the dog had gotten out and done what dogs do because they're that's what they do. I can't say that I've never had a dog that kind of ran out ran out when I wasn't prepared for it and had to chase it around town a little bit. Absolutely (laughs) absolutely yeah and then this one you know just happened to get into a bad situation and not make it home. We had a cat patient like that, just a quick plug for microchips, rehomed back to its original home after being on the streets for three years, after getting out in a car accident. And the owner was in a car accident, opened the doors, the cat got out, was not seen for three years, and then showed up at our clinic. I think it was a Persian. And that was kind of our first clue. We were like, you aren't supposed to be wandering around on the streets. And um, <laughs> had a microchip and went home after three years. Oh, I love that. It's, those are always, you know, those are the cases. They're so heartwarming. Uh, you know, I feel like we may have answered this in a lot of ways leading up to this point. But can you talk about why you love shelter medicine? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot to love. The work is so rewarding, right? I love working with animals, especially my little hard knock buddies. I <laughs> um, <laughs> love that. As a technician, I would say that I think shelter medicine is such a great opportunity because you get so much autonomy. You're doing so much. They really utilize their technicians. Like a doctor would just write me a list like, hey, this dog needs rads. This dog needs blood work. This dog needs this, this, and this. And find whatever technicians available and get it done. So I just think that it is not just like emotionally rewarding, but very mentally rewarding for technicians. I also love the human aspect. You know, we talked a little bit about like judging owners for maybe, you know, finding their animals in certain situations. And, you know, sometimes I do think judgment is warranted. But there was also a lot of times when I felt so much compassion for the owners You know, like I had once this gentleman bring in a dog that was laterally recumbent and dying, and he kind of just brought it in, like, to kind of say, hey, my dog's dying. Can you guys euthanize it? And I'm like, okay. But he was, like, so appreciative of me. He was like, thank you so much. And he, like, gave his dog just this really sincere kiss. And I was like, oh, 
this would be an easy situation to judge because why isn't he with his dog at the end or why isn't he taking his dog to the vet or, you know, seeing what's wrong with his dog and how did it get so bad in the first place? How long has this dog been this way? So I understand the thought process, but I also have compassion a lot of times for people in those different situations. And so I love shelter medicine just because it gives me the opportunity to maybe be that that smile that a person might need in that moment. That's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> a little emotional. <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely. Those are those are really important moments that everybody needs. This man needed somebody to put his dog down, even if he didn't go about it in a way that we would think, you know, these are like the the quote unquote maybe like the more normal options to do this. Like he needed it done and he sought the care that his dog needed in that moment. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you may have spoken to this a little bit, too, but, you know, we talked about a lot of the heartwarming cases and, you know, some of these wonderful moments. Are there any challenging moments that you can speak to, things where you were like, this part of it was really hard or a particular case, anything like that? So we did see all the investigations, so a lot of cases of abuse and neglect. So that a lot of times would, you know, make all of us angry or sad. Bella... Like, I was tasked when she first came in with, like, sedating her with Dex and, like, scrubbing her wounds. And it didn't matter how much sedation I gave this dog. Yeah. She could feel it. Mm -hmm. It was, like... It was so pain. And you can't do locals because they don't work because it's too inflamed. I had never experienced a dog that was so reactive, like, even under sedation. It was, yeah. But she was was a success story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, I've also seen been a part of you know like hoarding cases in particular and Mm -hmm. and things like that and yeah it can be really challenging emotionally it can one time we had a huge hoarding case with about 200 cats goodness gracious and almost every cat had uri they were all so sick and of course like like urine scalding like just so many things were wrong with them because of the environment that they were in and it was so physically taxing. We literally had to create an assembly line to like get this done in any sort of reasonable time. And I think we still were there hours after we were supposed to be. But it was like one person was doing intake, the next person was doing vitals, the next person was helping the doctor with an exam. Like there was just all these little parts that we had to play, but it was really shocking. Like I just couldn't even imagine what that person's house must be like. Don't even want to think about it. I know. But this brings up a really interesting topic to me something that I find fascinating about shelter med and that's infection control Mm -hmm. so you had to intake roughly 200 cats with URIs what do you do with those guys (laughs) I know and we were almost full all of the time so I don't know the creativity that goes into it is a little above my pay grade but (laughs) what I will say in those situations right because there's almost always I feel like chronic URI in any shelter that I've been to there's like wards you know there's like like a room full of runs and that will be the dedicated place for dogs with URI and then for these cats all the healthy cats kind of had to get smushed together in like the four you know other cat rooms and then we had to have a URI cat room or I think we probably had to have two or three URI cat rooms because there were so many of them yeah so you just have to separate of course there's very stringent cleaning protocols for parvo There is their own separate ward that's like far away from all the other animals. And the person that works with the parvo animals doesn't work with any other animals that day. So even though you're wearing a gown, you know, you're wearing all the appropriate PPE, you would still 
maybe if we were understaffed for some reason, maybe change your scrubs and work with other animals. But even using your gloves, using everything, they would still keep that person dedicated to parvo. Sure. So yeah, there was a lot of different things that we did to try to control infection. And they even cultured the URI a few times, but we just were never able to get it under control. Oh, it's so it's so tough to get those under control sometimes. Yeah. How do you feel like shelter med has kind of evolved over time? So much. And I'm so glad for that. So when I first started 10 years ago, the thing that everybody was talking about was how they no longer euthanized heartworm dogs, right? Which to me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that was ever like the thing but apparently it was, that was, you know, a change that had happened kind of around the time that I started. And I would hear stories about just how many animals were euthanized for space. Like, like I want to say it was like 70% of the cats. It was like a huge number. Sure. But then shortly after I started, the director came on and started an initiative to have, I think, a 90% live release rate, which we achieved, you know, pretty quickly, actually. But there have been so many things that have changed. Even the Parvo Award that I was just talking about, that didn't exist. So my first couple of years, we euthanized Parvo dogs. Aww. I know. We euthanized Pan Luke cats. And then eventually we had a doctor who was really passionate about shelter medicine and kind of did a lot of research and training. And she was the one that came up with the Parvo Award. So I'm so happy for that. In terms of cats, we stopped euthanizing Pan Luke cats, which I'm very happy about. But yeah, when I first started, we were still euthanizing FIV and FELV cats, which sure. we stopped doing. And it was like once we came up with that protocol of just, hey, you give the client, you know, education, like you discharge them and you let them know how often they have to go to the vet and what like life is going to look like for that cat. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. I wish we had done that from the start. But it's like things have to evolve. So yeah, I'm happy that we started adopting out those cats again. We came up with a really great orphaned kitten protocol because those were also pets that, you know, we get euthanized a lot where we would just figure out how to get them out to like rescue or foster as quickly as possible. So like Promoting those rescue and foster programs are huge for shelters because sometimes you are like over capacity. Like when we had all of those cats, it was like, okay, how can we get as many healthy animals out as we can? And so you call on your friends, you know, and so... And I know that definitely happens where, you know, if in kitten season, like you said, like Mm -hmm. who knew there'd ever be a kitten season, but here we are. But yeah, they'll reach out to local veterinary practices and say, you know, hey, does anybody want to take on kittens because they need to be fostered and, and you guys know what you're doing for the most part. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's awesome. Very cool. And I I would imagine that probably opened up a lot of space and really like not only got these orphaned kittens adopted out, but also opened up space for some of the adult cats coming in. So there wasn't as much euthanasia for space going on. Absolutely. And it is like such a a symbiotic relationship where it's like we're not just asking you to take these cats and then we're going to leave you hanging bring them back so we can spay and neuter them. Like we're not going to make this a financial burden for you. There's just a lot of working together in those situations. And luckily, I think um, most places are able to find a network that really helps them with their population nowadays. So many people are dedicated to animal welfare. It's so true. It's so true. And I know now that I'm positive that there's so many people out there listening who are just riveted by this and they're like, there's (laughs) so much about shelter med that I didn't know what would you say specifically to technicians who maybe they were already interested in shelter med or maybe after listening to all your stories, they're like, this sounds really cool. I want to try this out. I would say to go for it. You know, I've heard so many people say, oh, I could never do that. You know, it would break my heart. And I know it's not for everyone, but if there's a part of you that feels like, 
oh, but I, I would like to try. Like if there's a part of you that's tugged in that direction, I would say go for it because yes, it is emotional work, but it's so rewarding. I would also say to ask a lot of questions. It is such a good opportunity for technicians to learn and grow and just learn how to do like all the things. I would also say ask questions about like protocols or the way that things are done because it's already such a busy atmosphere that I think sometimes they are maybe a little slow to evolve. So they need people like, you know, who we were talking about, the doctor that kind of spearheaded our parvo quarantine. They need people to ask questions, make suggestions, like don't be afraid to be that voice. Yeah, sometimes you might just get blown off, but sometimes somebody might go, oh, we probably can do that. And then you're like saving lives. So have confidence in yourself and know that your opinion matters. I would say definitely prioritizing work-life balance and boundaries because shelters can get super, super busy. There were so many times when it was like time for me to go and there were still like seven animals left to be like in took and I was on intake that day or something like that. I had to learn how to sometimes, you know, set those boundaries to make sure that I didn't feel overworked because since it is an emotionally taxing job, you just have to protect yourself a little. But I loved it and I think that a lot of people in that environment would probably love it. So I always encourage technicians to go for it. I think that's all amazing input on just working in that environment and the kind of impact that you can have. I mean, you're talking about population medicine here. So you, yes, emotional work and, you know, sometimes having to deal with some really tough cases and some really hard decisions, but just impacting so many animals on, you know, at such a high level to to have such a really big impact on the well-being of so many animals. I mean, that's a really powerful space to be in. And so I think that's really good advice to give credit where credit's due, including giving yourself credit, you know, and, and speaking up if you see something. But also, like you said, you know, making sure that you're setting those appropriate boundaries and preserving your own mental health and well-being, because I would imagine that it could be easy to kind of fall into a trap of like, but look at how much good I'm doing and just, you know, try to do more and more and more and get yourself into a bad situation. I do see that from time to time. And I think that honestly happens all over veterinary medicine. True. <laughs> <laughs> like we're all just hardworking to a fault, I think. That's fair. That's fair. Well, Sam, this has been amazing. I've learned so much about your experience in shelter med. Clearly, you heard from the very beginning, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And I feel like you have done such a good job kind of illustrating your role and some of what goes on in a shelter. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. I had a great time. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Sam, for coming on the podcast again. I always love talking with you and hearing your insights. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.